Hey friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Say, for example, you and your partner are from southern Italy and you're having a great time. You're about to eat an amazing tomato salad and this tomato was on a vine that morning, you know, and it's warm from the sun. You're about to put it in your mouth and you're going to share this beautiful moment, this vista with your lover and you can't, oh, my life's fucking great. And this mosquito comes down and bites you, right? And the itch starts to arrive on your arm. And then you're no longer thinking about the tomato or the fact that you're here with this woman and, and life is amazing and you love her and you're here and you've traveled and you've worked hard to get here and this tomato is going to be great. All you can think about is itch. All you can think about is the itch. And nothing can happen until you scratch that itch. That was happening every single day. Every single day. That's Osha Ginsberg. And this is episode 156 of the Plant Proof Podcast. Beautiful friends, welcome back to another episode. Here we are. An absolute pleasure to be here with you. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for finally joining us, gracing us with your presence. I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. has a tendency, my brain has a tendency for anxiety and ruminating anxiety, which probably made my ancestors be able to survive, all right, because they were the jumpiest ones who were most afraid of shadows, okay, so they evaded predators. However, <laughs> it's a genetic switch that stayed on through the generations and, and now and, and so I've had to live a life of going, <gasps> and for me, anxiety is a lack of control. When am I more in control than when I'm standing on stage? So I remember so clearly when I was nine, every Friday as primary school had an assembly in the hall and those classes would take a turn to do a song or a skit or something, all right, during the assembly. And we had a, a little skit or a scene or something we were doing. And I had one line and the scene was going on and I was to go out and I was to deliver my line and then leave the stage again. And the scene was going on and I heard my feed line and I walked out and I stood and I saw these hundreds of kids all staring at me with their mouths open. I mean, you know, they were five, so fair enough. And I paused for a second and I said the line, and the line was probably something like, I've got it right here. But because I'd waited long enough, I don't know, I must have got the comic timing just right. And the whole room just burst into laughter. And straight away I noticed, oh, wow all that noise, all that fear, everything in my head is quiet. Oh, this is good. And then when the laugh happened, I was like, this is a good feeling. I like this feeling. I want more of this. And so for the rest of my life, I chased that. I chased that. When I'm on stage, everything's fine. When I'm, I lived in America for for a while, about 10 years, and I, I managed to become the first Australian, at this point, I think still the only, but I don't know to host live network primetime television. All right, 10 million people coast to coast every night. And in those moments, I was on fucking CBS, man. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. And... 
And in those moments, and it's only like 40, when you think about it, it's only 45 seconds, maybe a minute, all right? Standing on that stage, standing in front of that at CBS Studio 46, it's like there are two identical studios next to each other and the one next to us was shooting American Idol, right? So it's a fucking massive show, humongous production, millions of dollars in it. Those moments on camera when I'm speaking and I'm in down the barrel, absolute serenity, all the fear, all the worry, all the rumination, all the anxiety, all the what if, all the weird feelings in my body, completely gone. And I chase those moments. I chase those moments my whole life. And that's what I feel every single time I've done it. Like I love doing what I do and I love connecting with people, but initially I chased it because I feel I'm free of that thing that just circles over me like a wedge-tailed eagle all day, you know? doing that kind of TV, whether it be Idol or V or, or anything, um, you're at a heightened level of, you know, here we go, we're in the middle of it. You know, you're firing all cylinders, everything's moving. And then to come down from that was difficult. And so I was using, I was using alcohol to come down from that. And eventually the amount that I needed to drink to come down was just way too much. Uh, and it kind of really got out of hand to the point where I had to stop drinking because I could see where it was going. I would never drink like on the day of the show, never drink on the way up to. I didn't need a drink to get me because I was just so excited about it. Here it comes, here it comes, that feeling, I'm going to get it, but I don't want to be as present as I can for it. Here it comes. 7.30, bang, you're live. Wow, there it is. 8.31, off air. Oh, fuck, got a beer. <laughs> and then that was it, right? The drinking started to creep outside of the weekends quite swiftly. I was using alcohol, like many people, I was using alcohol as a conveniently and socially acceptable medication for what was going on in my head. It's a depressant. It's easily available. People are happy if you drink it. I've had a shit of a day. You want to be it? That'd be great. No one cares. Everyone's fine. All right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we could die for a drink after the day I've had. Go right ahead. Go on ahead. Let me pour you a double finger scotch. That's perfect. Everyone's cool with it, right? But, uh, you know, what, what is I actually doing? I'm self-medicating with alcohol, right? And it got to a point where I just... The, the drinking stopped being with friends and started being alone. It got to a point where I couldn't, I wouldn't leave the house much. I don't remember the second season of Australian Idol. I know I was there. I accepted a Logie that year. I know Anthony Clear was great and Casey Donovan won, but I don't remember doing it. <laughs> I know it happened because I look on YouTube, but that year, 2004, Blurry, man. Blurry. You know, eventually became a thing that if I was going out, I needed two or three to, to get out the door before I left the house. And then when I got to Los Angeles, uh, there's a joke in LA um, that I heard. I won't say her name, but it's this high-profile Australian actress. She says, you don't realize you've got a drinking problem until you leave Australia. <laughs> and then you get there and you realize, oh, wow, we drink very differently to the rest of the world. We really do. I first noticed that when I went to Israel with my ex-wife. I went to Israel and I was like, I'm the only one here drinking a tallie straight from the bottle at this party. Oh, there's only two tallies here and that was a beer for the whole room. Oh, that's a bit weird. It got to a point where I knew it was a problem, but I was unable to stop it. And that was the thing. That was the wildest thing about it, like the powerlessness over it. I would explain it like, um, say, for example, you and your beautiful partner, uh, you're in Italy, the southern Italy, and you're having a great time. You're about to eat this fucking amazing tomato, you know, salad. And this tomato was on a vine that morning, you know, and it's, you're, it's warm from the sun. You're about to put it in your mouth and you're going to share this beautiful moment, this vista with your lover. And you can't, oh, the life's fucking great. And this mosquito comes down and bites you, right? And the itch starts to arrive on your arm. 
and then you're no longer thinking about the tomato or the fact that you're here with this woman and, and life is amazing and you love her and you're here and you've traveled and you've worked hard to get here and this tomato is going to be great. All you can think about is itch. All you can think about is itch. And nothing can happen until you scratch that itch. And everything else disappears. You're no longer present to the moment. Like, I've got to fucking itch this. I've got to itch it. I've got to itch it. I've got to itch it. Oh, I itched it. Oh, thank fuck I itched it. Oh, now it's bleeding. Oh, that's going to get infected. Fuck. And then no longer are you thinking about this warm tomato, fresh, you know, warmed by the sun or the fact that you're here with your lover or, or you, know, you know what I mean? It just takes you, you absolutely cannot continue until you have this thing. And that was happening every single day and earlier and earlier and earlier in the day. And I could see well and truly where it was headed. You know, I ended up unemployed, crazy and divorced on the other side of the world. There was one particular night where it was no bigger than any other night, but it was just another night where I humiliated myself, I humiliated the people that loved me, I humiliated, you know, people around me. It wasn't any bigger night than any other night I'd had, but it was like, this happens no matter what I try. If I only drank beer, this wouldn't happen. No, it still happened. If I only drank wine, this wouldn't happen. Still happened. Hmm. Maybe I'll try spirits. No, still happens. Maybe I'll start with the spirits and finish with the beer. No, still happened. Like, no matter what. I tried, no matter how many times I tried to stop, it always ended up the same. It was late, someone was upset, I was vomiting, you know, like every single time I drank, it happened the same way. And I was like, I didn't have the drink, the drink had me. It's an old saying, but it's exactly what happened. I was no longer the one making decisions. And so I was like, I know where this is going to go. This is getting worse and I can't stop it from getting worse. The only way I can stop it from getting worse is to just not have the first one. People have been telling me since my 20s, you know, maybe you want to think about what you're doing here. Do you really need to do this to yourself every single time? It's like, I would be just to dismiss it. It's like, you don't understand. Look at me, I'm fucking party. Yeah, I'm telling you, everything's awesome. And it wasn't. Like, I don't have a problem. I can stop whenever I want. Eventually, the, the handbrake starts to go on that kind of drinking and using and you start to realize, oh, you know what? I used to make a joke that you can plot the path of someone's career by the time between now and the last time they smoked a bucket bong. Uh, and the same, you know, the same goes to show is like when you stop that real full-on mega, mega party, like you'd be surprised how, how much your life and career and enjoyment of everything can explode once you've, you know, stopped that sort of thing and use those energies for, for things that can, you know, help you, help others, help your family. And yeah, I just, man, I just knew that it, I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do it one more time. I might have stopped drinking, but the momentum of the energy that I had been putting into the world kept going and the wreckage just kept happening for a long time until I actually started really doing the work on actually staying sober. We talked about medication before. There's a big difference between not drinking and being sober. I was just not drinking. So what I had done, we talked about the fact that alcohol can be used as a widely available depressant to put the handle on, you know, a vast variety of mild mental illness or sometimes more severe, I'd essentially come off my meds and not done anything about it. So I'd taken the depression out of my life and now it was just me and the anxiety. And so everything just kind of, to be honest, got worse because I didn't do the work as to why I was drinking. I am a part of a fellowship of men and women who work together to spread experience, strength and hope around not drinking together. It's a step-based program, slightly more than 11, one less than 13. <laughs> so you can, you can do the reverse engineering of what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, but basically, I, I didn't know what sobriety looked like and I didn't know what working a program looked like. All I knew was 
you know, depressed people sitting in, in in smoky rooms with bad cups of coffee under a church on folding chairs with vinyl floors going, hey, I'm Osher, I'm alcoholic. Like you see in the movies. I'd never met a sober person that I thought was like, I want that. I was on holidays at the end of 2009 and I met a photographer who, I don't know if you're aware of, there's an extraordinary artist by the name of Tom of Finland. He would draw these caricatures of gay men that were just like a fucking Adonis, like kind of like the Leatherman from uh, Village People. He looked like that. He had all the sailor tattoos down his arms and he was handsome and he was fun. He had a jaw that could slice cake and he was gay as Christmas, but brilliant and just a lovely man. And fucking amazing photographer, life of the party and sober. I was like, I didn't know it could look like that. I didn't know it could look as healthy and incredible and glowing and successful. And like this guy's fly, he flies all over the world in small planes taking photos. But still to this day, he's a very, very talented man. And I remember calling him up going, mate, we met when we were on holidays and you live nearby in West Hollywood. I need a meeting. Can you take me? And he goes, yeah, sure, I'll take you. So the first meetings I went to were all gay meetings. And I'm sitting there in this room with men who were completely different upbringings from me, yeah, completely different lives. You know, obviously I was one of the only, if not the only straight man in the room. So very, very different when it comes to relationships, sexual relationships. But every person that got up and talked was like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me too. Oh, that's me three. And here I am thinking I'm some sort of special snowflake, but no. I could hear their stories. I'm like, oh, right. So we all have this thing. Oh, we all have this thing. Oh, right. Oh, well, at least there's a path out of it. Oh, okay. And yeah, now I've just been following that path since then. And then, you know, when it comes to managing my mental health, that kind of got worse because I didn't look after it. And that's, that's also progressive. If you don't look after that, uh, it, it can get worse. And it did, it got way worse. And I, I went through periods of, of, of psychosis and uh, paranoid delusions, which I do not recommend at all. And that was in sobriety. You know, so I was on medication for a long time. And a part of that, I was on two separate kinds of antipsychotics. Um, it was a lot like my, my drinking. I didn't want to accept that I was experiencing psychosis. I didn't want to accept that I was experiencing paranoid delusions. I didn't want to need these drugs but I was and I really needed it. And once I accepted, because I did the classic mental health thing of like, the doctor told me to take it only when I need it. If I don't take it, then I don't need it. Ah, brilliant. Wasn't. So I ended up on four different kinds of medications until I finally started feeling okay. And um, that was extraordinary because you're taking all these meds, you start to feel, oh, wow. I can't believe I was doing that for so long. I can't believe I was feeling that horrible for so long. But then the side effects, you know, every, every medication has a benefit and a side effect and the side effects of those kind of medications, they really mess with your metabolism. And no matter how much exercise I was doing, I was back and forth from Los Angeles still. So I went back to Los Angeles and I was, I was riding my bike 250, 300 k's a week up mountains. Like, because when you, I lived in Venice Beach and maybe 20 minutes away is Topanga Canyon. So you're in proper mountains. There's like 7%, 10% hills to climb up there. And I'd be up there for hours every day. I'd be riding two, three hours a day. And I'm still putting on a kilo a week, you know, and I'm burning calories, burning calories, but still putting on a kilo a week because it messes with the way your body metabolizes food. It fucks with your insulin response and, and it's, it sucks. And I remember getting to the point where I was turning back around. We got greenlit for the third season, Sam Wood season of Batch. I remember going to see my psychiatrist and going, mate, I'm down to track pants. I'm running out of clothes. 
we've got to do something. <laughs> so he's, he was very good, actually. He helped, you know, we kind of started to, I was doing a lot better. And he's like, look, if, if I can make all this stuff go away. I can make all the noise in your head go away. I can make all the fear and horror go away, but you'll gain 50 pounds. I said, I can't do that. That's my job. And, you know, this is a fact of my job. And so we had to find other strategies to deal with that. And through that, we found a different diagnosis and I got on different meds and that's how we got the OCD diagnosis. And once I got on the OCD meds, then everything seems to start getting better. And then I was on OCD meds for a long time. The meds are, here's like the knee brace for your head. And so you just have to wear that, but we have to do all this other work to rewire everything so that the thinking doesn't go down the horror paths all the time. And then... Slowly, 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 we came down off the meds, down off the meds, down off the meds. But during that, my brain actually healed and regained the ability to start making new neural pathways again, which was fucking good. So I run a double therapist situation and I compare it to rally driving. The psychiatrist is the mechanic who makes sure the machine works. The psychologist is the navigator who's like left, right, right. And so that team works really well for me. And so I've been running that for a couple of years now. And through both of those people and then doing the work every day myself... That involves a lot of journaling, a lot of like catching yourself thinking, a lot of, you know, breathing, a lot of rewiring your instant responses to things. Slowly, 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 slowly. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it takes a long time. I managed to get a lot, a lot better. And, um, and then when I got off meds altogether, I'm like, I've got to do something to fill this gap. And, and that's when this men's health thing showed up. And so the opportunity to do resistance training every day, I'd only ever really ridden the bicycle. I didn't really like gyms that much. And so I'd never really done that much resistance training. But honestly, in the resistance training, lifting weights, I found a release because I've done marathons. I've done all endurance stuff before that. I'd run marathons and all this ultras and all this kind of thing, training for an ultra at one point. You know, I would get that, that hormone release of the dopamine, the serotonin, the norepinephrine. I'd get that, but it only happened after about, you know, an hour and a half of running. But during resistance training, I was finding that the hormone release in my head would start to happen a lot earlier and I would feel so much better in my brain through the day. And then I started to figure out, why is this? I was like, oh, because these things are getting released. Okay, I, had, I had a problem with dopamine and serotonin already, but it seemed to like that had healed a bit and I was able to make it a bit better now. And so it was during those sessions that I was finding just extraordinary transformational happenings in my head when it came to my mood. I get to live a life now of very deliberate self-care. I get to live a life of if I don't get my workout in, if I don't at least get on the bike, if I don't at least get like 20 minutes of just really simple body movement, might just be push-ups, might just be hanging from the chin-up bar. It might just be I, I get to live a life of deliberate self-care, which makes you, I try to get as present as I can be. Uh, it's still a struggle, you know, it's still you know, this. My brain will always have the thing that tipped me over. Whereas before, the horror was like a billboard two feet in front of my face when I couldn't see anything but this terrifying message. Now it's kind of like a post-it note in the corner of that table. All right. It's still here right now as we sit and as we speak. The horror is still there. I was like, okay, all right. But it's still there and it'll probably be there for the rest of my life. But I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with, with it. I'm going to manage it. But if I don't get that self-care in every day and that involves making sure that I eat right, making sure that I, I get some amount of physical activity in every day to the point where I get that hormonal release to, you know, just enough. You can just, I honestly, I try and get most of it done while I'm waiting for the coffee machine to warm up. Simon, so I'll, while I turn the coffee machine on, I'll do just 20 squats in the kitchen. Then I'll just do a set of 20 push-ups, and I'll just hang from the bar 
try and work on my L-sit while the coffee machine warms up and then five minutes are done and I'm going to make my coffee. And like that's enough just to kind of kick things into gear and let the brain start to squirt that stuff in there to make it feel a bit better. It's nice that I get to still wear tailored suits, but that's not the goal. Never in my career have I taken my shirt off for, you know, for a camera. It's been a deliberate choice because uh, I've always kind of been bigger than a lot of people realized and I always had a lot of shame about my body. And I always kind of said to myself, you know what? I'll go shirtless when I'm on the cover of Men's Health. That was the thought in my head. And then so when they approached me at the end of 2017 saying we want to do a transformation issue with you, I'm like, I am all in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. So it's a good part about obsessive compulsive disorder is interesting because it has good points and bad points. Um, the bad points are well documented. The good points are like when you want to do something, you get it done. <laughs> you get it done. You get it really done. And so I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I dropped eight kilos of fat and I put on two kilos of muscle in oh, three, four months. You know, every single person's mental illness journey is completely different. And what worked for me will not work for you. Don't try it. You work with your doctors. Find your path. I'm telling you what, you know, this is a, a version that worked for me, but I find that I can't control so many things in my life. What I can control is I can control what I eat. I can't control how much activity I'm doing during the day, even carrying an injury. I'm like, okay, so I can't do that. What can I do? I control the purpose that I approach things with. I control how much time I spend engaging with my family. Uh, I can control, you know, my outlook. I can control how I feel about what I decide about things. You know, I didn't get picked up for that job. I can decide how I feel about it. I can feel bitter about it or I can go, I'm really grateful they chose that other person. They'll do really well. Good for them. You know, I decide. I choose these things. And so what are the things that I can control? And these are the things I try and focus on. And it's not just one thing, but it's all of these things combined. There we go. How did that one land for you? hope that you found it interesting, instructive, illuminating, all the things. Of course, if you did, please do share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected too. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. That's at plant underscore proof. And on that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.